0: Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. On this date in church history, October 6, 1536, William Tyndale was executed by being tied to a stake, strangled, and burned. His crime? translating the Bible into the English language. Listen to the fascinating story of this Protestant reformer, Bible translator, and martyr for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we know very little about his childhood, his early life, or even his conversion. We do know that Tyndale received his master's degree from Oxford in 1515, Although he was just 21 years old, he was already fluent in eight different languages. John Fox offers this description of Tyndale. He says, He increased as well in the knowledge of tongues and other liberal arts, as especially in the knowledge of the Scriptures, whereunto his mind was singularly addicted. Tyndale was active in studying and teaching Scripture. Through it, he came to see that the people of England could not be reached using a Latin Bible, a language they did not speak. Tyndale said, It was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except the scripture were laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. However, it was illegal to have what was called a vernacular Bible or a Bible in the common language. You could be put to death. For producing, reading, or even memorizing Scripture in English. One day in 1519, a woman and six men were publicly burned at the stake for teaching children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English. As he continued to devour Scripture in the original Greek, Tyndale came to see that much of what the church taught did not line up with the Bible. And although he was an ordained priest himself, he was not shy about letting people know. In 1521, he became the tutor of a wealthy Englishman by the name of Sir John Walsh. Walsh would often entertain local clergymen, and Tyndale would also be at these dinners. During an argument, one Catholic clergyman said to Tyndale, We are better to be without God's laws than the Pope's. Well, Tyndale replied, I defy the Pope. And all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. As you can imagine, that comment was not well received. But Tyndale was determined to make good on his word. He went to London in 1523 to seek official authorization from the bishop to begin work on an English translation of the Bible out of the original Greek and Hebrew something that had never been done before. But the potential of Luther-like ideas spreading in England was far too great a risk, and the idea was opposed. Tyndale would not be dissuaded. A wealthy cloth merchant approached Tyndale and offered to underwrite his expenses, and so he set sail for the European continent in 1524. And so, William Tyndale began his life as an outlaw, God's outlaw. For every word of scripture which he translated into English, he would translate illegally. He would never see England again, and for the next 12 years of his life, he would be a fugitive. Tyndale made his way to Germany, where it's possible that he spent some time sitting under the teaching of Martin Luther. He found a printer in Cologne and would print the work, which would take place under the cover of darkness. Things were initially going well, and the work was progressing quickly, but after an inebriated print shop worker let the secret out, the print shop was raided. Tyndale managed to escape with his life and the pages that had already been printed. They had already gotten as far as Matthew chapter 22. He made his way to the city of Worms, Yes, the same city where Luther made his stand just five years earlier, where he had somewhere between 3,000 to 6,000 copies of his New Testament translation printed. Tyndale's New Testaments were smuggled in bales of cotton and distributed across England. People could purchase a copy for just a week's wages, which was actually remarkably affordable back then. The bishops were furious, as was King Henry VIII. In an effort to control the spread of Tyndale's work, they burned every copy they could get their hands on. They had a ceremonial book burning as a warning under the direction of Bishop Tunstall, the same man who refused to allow Tyndale to begin an English translation years earlier. They even threatened to burn those caught with a Tyndale Bible. And then, in May of 1527, they came up with a plan to put a stop to the spread of these Tyndale translations. They would purchase every single copy they could find. Well, they, of course, would destroy these, but the proceeds went back to Tyndale and helped him begin his revised second edition. Meanwhile, he also produced other writings about the nature of God, of Scripture, of salvation in Christ— If they were going to stop the flood of Bibles coming into England, they would have to cut them off at their source. Tyndale's opponents began sending agents from England to the continent in order to track him down and arrest him. But Tyndale was careful. He moved from place to place. He took on assumed identities. He only took trusted people into his confidence. Why such threat against Tyndale? Why was he deemed so dangerous? Well, among other things, because his translation of the Greek text into English undermined the Roman theology built upon the Latin Vulgate. Among other translation decisions where the Latin called for Christians to do penance, Tyndale rightly translated this Greek word as be penitent or repent, which means to turn away from sin rather than perform works to undo the guilt of sin. Furthermore, he taught against the existence of purgatory and denied that we needed priests to mediate on our behalf. Clearly, Tyndale was undermining the teachings of the church, and so the church authorities decided that Tyndale had to be stopped. Meanwhile, Tyndale was teaching himself Hebrew, a language that was completely unknown in England, and he began to work at translating the Old Testament into English. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, was completed in January of 1530 and smuggled into England from Antwerp, Belgium. Thanks to the English Bible and the many other works that Tyndale was producing, the cause of the Reformation was beginning to take root in England. People were doing just as he had said in his writings, "'Get thee to God's word, and thereby try all doctrine, and against that receive nothing.'" but Tyndale could not hide forever. An agent of the king eventually found Tyndale and offered him a salary and safe passage back to England. Tyndale agreed, but on one condition. He would cease his own translation work and serve the king if the king would commission a translation of the Bible into English. He said that if the king would agree, he would cease writing immediately and come to England at once. Quote, offering my body to suffer what pain or torture, yea, what death his grace will, so that this translation be obtained. The king refused, and so did Tyndale. Something had to be done. As Tyndale began a revision of his first translation of the New Testament, a man by the name of Henry Phillips was appointed to track down Tyndale. Phillips had gotten into a great deal of debt, and he was offered a lot of money— if he could locate William Tyndale. In 1535, Phillips began making contacts with the merchants in Antwerp, and after a great deal of deception, worked his way to finding out where Tyndale was living. Not only did he discover Tyndale's whereabouts, he worked his way into the inner circle and befriended William Tyndale himself. One day, after Phillips borrowed 40 shillings from Tyndale, he invited him to dinner. While walking through a narrow alleyway, William Tyndale was ambushed by Imperial officers and arrested. Before his rooms were ransacked, his most recent work of Old Testament books was secured by his good friend John Rogers, who would go on to become the first martyr put to death under the reign of Bloody Mary. Tyndale would be imprisoned for over five hundred days. He was kept in a cold and dark prison cell in a castle near Belgium. He wrote to his captors, begging them for warm clothes and a candle at night, for it is tiresome to sit alone in the dark, he wrote. But after these necessities, he wrote, But above all, I beg and entreat your clemency earnestly, to allow me the use of my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew lexicon, that I might employ my time with that study. Above all, Tyndale wanted to continue his labors even while in prison awaiting his execution. At the end of 18 months, he was declared a heretic by the church and turned over to the civil authorities to be sentenced to death. The charges against Tyndale were, he had maintained that faith alone justifies, he maintained that to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel was enough for salvation, He denied the existence of purgatory. He denied that men should pray to Mary or the saints. On October 6, 1536, he was brought out to the place of his execution. The crowd watched as he was placed up against a stake. Wood and straw piled around his feet. Gunpowder was sprinkled on top. A chain and rope were placed around his neck. Just before he was killed, Tyndale... Gave his last words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. The noose was tightened and Tyndale was no more. His body was burned and the spectacle was made more gruesome by the fact that the gunpowder exploded. God's outlaw, William Tyndale, met with a martyr's death for the crime of bringing the word of God to England. But just two years later, Tyndale's dying prayer would be answered. Henry VIII decreed that a copy of the Bible in English and Latin should be made available in every church in England. Tyndale's translation work is found in every English translation since his own. When King James arranged for a new translation of Scripture, 50 of the finest scholars were commissioned, yet they could not improve on Tyndale's work. Roughly 84% of the New Testament and 76% of the Old Testament in the King James Version is the work of William Tyndale. If you own any English version of the Bible, you are indebted to William Tyndale. In fact, if you read or speak English at all, you are indebted to him. His work standardized the English language and gave us a number of phrases that we continue to use today. The powers that be, eat, drink, and be merry, the salt of the earth, the signs of the times, It came to pass. Fight the good fight. When an English word did not exist, he made it up. Scapegoat, atonement, Passover, peacemaker, and many others. William Tyndale was in many ways the father of the modern English language, just as he was the father of both the English Bible and the English Reformation. How many times Tyndale might have saved his life had he simply ceased from his work. Yet his heart was held captive to the Word of God. William Tyndale gave his life for the cause of making God's Word known to people, from the English king all the way down to the humble plowboy. I hope you enjoyed this brief look of what took place on this date in history in the life and eventual martyr's death of William Tyndale. For more resources, visit reasonabletheology.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting to pick in a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I have found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.